Uh, very good afternoon uh, to all joining the call. I'd like to firstly you know, Mr. Tarun Khanna, whose partner at CX Partner, for taking out time to do this call. Um, the topic of this call is standing, uh, you know, the uh, uh, food service business and the food restaurant business uh, in India and the current environment. And uh, we believe there's nobody better. Uh, um, you know, Tarun has uh, been part of CX Partners since its inception and serves on the board of Barbecue Nation, Sapphire Food, the USR Chains as well, as well as uh, uh, has investments and takes partners as investments in the sector food, which is a big business as well, it's getting big business. Um, I'd like to now hand over to Tarun to give his opening remarks on uh, his understanding and his learnings over the last uh, few years and especially over the last few months on how the impact of coronavirus has, uh, has changed things for the businesses that uh, he closely looks at. Over to you, Tarun. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Harris, uh, and uh, Investec, uh, for giving me this opportunity to come and, and speak about uh, our restaurant businesses and the impact of uh, this COVID-19 situation as a whole on the sector. So, uh, just to give you a quick uh, background of uh, on the firm uh, and what we do, we invest, uh, we're a private equity fund, we invest uh, largely in four sectors, which is uh, financial services, uh, consumer products and services, IT uh, outsourcing businesses, and uh, healthcare businesses. Uh, so within the consumer products uh, and services uh, vertical, we have, uh, like you mentioned, we have four uh, portfolio investments across our funds. Uh, the first, uh, I'm going to talk about three of them, uh, which are in the F&D space. Uh, the first one, of course, is uh, uh, Barbecue Nation, which I guess everybody would have heard about. It's the uh, largest uh, Indian casual dining restaurant chain, about 148 stores uh, as of today. We would have, if COVID wouldn't have hit, we would have been at close to 155 now. Uh, uh, so this investment uh, we made about uh, uh, about six and a half years ago, uh, uh, which is a uh, so we are a minority shareholder there. We own less than fifty percent. We work with the uh, promoter and the management uh, to bring the business to where it is. So we when we invested, there were about twenty stores. Uh, we have grown uh, seven eight fold in the last seven years. Uh, so it's been a good uh, it's been a good experience, a good ride for us. Uh, this business, uh, as you would imagine, is really based on, rather than fine dining, it's casual dining. It's really based on uh, customer experience uh, and, uh, and 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 the the format is all you can eat. Uh, so when you went, I'm sure uh, most of us would have gone there. So when you enter the store, you get this. These are typically large format stores, 150 to 100 seater stores. Uh, we are present in uh, close to about 60 cities in India, uh, across metros, tier 1, tier 2 as well. Uh, so in the metros like Delhi, Bombay, Bangalore, Hyderabad, and Chennai, we have large format stores which can go up to 200 seats, where uh, uh, we, we serve a, an unlimited buffet to our customers, and then we have a live grill on the table. We are known for our kebabs. Uh, we are also... Uh, known for our uh, customer satisfaction. Uh, we have something which is called a GSI, which is the Guest Satisfaction Index, where uh, close to about 5% of the tables uh, that are served every day uh, get a call back uh, 
and and uh, rating is assigned based on the feedback of the customer, starting from the uh, concierge uh, to the to the uh, you know to the uh, to the captain, to the server of the food, to the bartender. Uh, so that's really a temperature check that we do uh, for the for each restaurant based on customer satisfaction. Uh, so that's an investment uh, that we made. Uh, it's been a successful investment for us. Uh, it continues to grow quite well. We have, we add, we've been adding about 24 stores uh, a year, uh, a year on year now in, in that business. Uh, the second business uh, that we've invested in about five years ago is a business called Sapphire Foods, uh, which is uh, which is a buyout, uh, which is uh, co-owned. Uh, by CX along with Samara, Goldman, and now Edelweiss is recently coming as an investor. Uh, this, uh, this is a uh, business that we put together. It was an amalgamation of uh, seven different franchises of Yum, uh, of Pizza uh, Hut and KFC stores uh, in South India, Central India, and in Sri Lanka. Uh, so before we came in, there were, there were really multiple franchises of Yum in India. Uh, the largest, of course, being Deviani, they continue to be the largest. Uh, and then we, we came in and we cleaned up uh, uh, all of these and put them under one, uh, under one umbrella. Uh, so that is a business which is run uh, by, uh, by Sanjay Kauri. He's the, uh, he's the good CEO of that business. Uh, so when we bought that business, uh, uh, we were roughly about 230 or so. Now we have uh, between India and Sri Lanka. Now we have uh, crossed 430 stores between the two countries. Uh, largely, uh, largely KFC uh, in India and only Pizza Hut, about 65 odd stores of Pizza Hut in Sri Lanka. Uh, so that, again, that business uh, was doing about 25 to 30% takeaway uh, slash delivery uh, pre-COVID. Uh, KFC was largely a takeaway delivery brand. Pizza Hut uh, was uh, was a dining brand as well. Uh, that that situation of course changed. And the third investment that we've had in the F&B space is a, a business called uh, Dindigal Thalapakati. This is a uh, a value for money non-vegetarian uh, uh, food restaurant chain focusing on biryani uh, in the state of uh, Tamil Nadu uh, and also now spreading very quickly in Bangalore and West of Karnataka. Uh, so this business we, we bought uh, in the recently last year in October. So it's only been about 10 months uh, since the time we acquired this business. Uh, it, it, is, it is close to about 62 stores right now. We've had a couple of stores uh, which are ready to be commissioned, but we haven't done that yet because of the COVID situation. Uh, it's a very interesting business. Uh, uh, it does four to five table turns a day. Uh, it is uh, what we would like to call fast casual uh, dining. Uh, this is in terms of uh, ticket size, it's about 250 rupees per head. Uh, our largest selling uh, product, which is also a flagship product, is the mutton biryani. Uh, and it's known as the Kalpakati biryani. Jindigal uh, is actually a, a district in, uh, in central Tamil Nadu, uh, where the brand comes from. And the uh, the current promoter, his grandfather, started the business. Uh, and he he, he, uh, he was so about ten years ago. He was uh, with two stores in Bengal, and the promoter then moved the business to Chennai and and uh, through the rest of the state, and subsequently in Bangalore. Uh, so here we have bought a majority in the business. Uh, 
and uh, and we brought our own management team. Uh, the promoter is still involved in uh, strategic decision making and mentorship, but we have our own CEO, CFO, etc. So we brought our own management team. Up. So uh, so broadly, a range of uh, uh, businesses started from uh, casual dining, uh, you know, seated all you can eat buffet to. Uh, Fast casual dining, uh, non-vegetarian uh, restaurant focusing on biryani to uh, to another fast casual dining chain uh, of Pizza Hut to a QSR model of KFC. Uh, so you know broadly, this is the range of uh, the portfolio that we have, you know, that we have invested in. The different brands have had uh, the experience in in the past two months. So Barbecue Nation, of course, being Predominantly, a dining uh, chain has had the maximum effect. We did start the delivery business in uh, in Barbecue Nation under the UBQ brand, which basically stands for Lou and Barbecue, which was which uh, uh, was nascent. It was about three to four percent of our revenue. Uh, now, of course, we are still continuing to deliver uh, out of about fifty odd stores out of the hundred and fifty stores that we have. Uh, but it's uh, it's not a significant part of our business. So uh, I think it would be uh, quite correct to say that Barbecue Nation uh, has been hit quite severely. The stores are shut, excepting for the delivery part, uh, because of the uh, COVID situation. Even before March 23rd, uh, uh, for the for the 10 days prior to March 23rd, we were having incidences of stores being shut early or the FSHI coming and asking for the source to be shut because uh, as, as COVID was, uh, was spreading. So there, uh, what we are doing is uh, we are hopeful uh, of uh, Karnataka Chief Minister giving a go-ahead uh, for opening restaurants uh, sometimes in June. So we will probably restart with our stores in, in Bangalore, uh, maybe five or six stores there. Uh, but more importantly, we've been taking this, uh, these last, uh, eight odd weeks to really restructure and reorganize ourselves, uh, at the back end as well as at the, uh, front end. Uh, so we do understand the realities of the, uh, you know, of, of the current situation, what's going to happen, uh, post COVID when the lockdown is lifted. Uh, the consumer mindset is going to change from variety and speed, uh, predominantly to safety and hygiene. So keeping that in mind, of course, all restaurant chains, all the branded chains have come up with, uh, a contactless delivery model, a contactless approach. Uh, so in terms of public nation as well, we have reoriented our restaurants uh, to account for that. Uh, there are, of course, anywhere between 25 to 40 percent uh, seats that have been shut because uh, because of social distancing. So the capacity uh, for any dining restaurant, whether it's QSR or casual dining, uh, is going to be reduced to that extent. Uh, and when the seating is in close proximity, uh, it gets reduced further. Uh, so that's that's something that we're working on. Uh, within the restaurant, uh, we have moved to a uh, paperless menu, paperless billing. So everything is going to be done based on a QR code. You come in and scan your QR code and you order the food. Uh, your bill comes on your mobile. You pay for it. Uh, so, so it's totally contactless. Uh, 
uh, in terms of uh, in terms of the food, it's of course all you can eat as much uh, as much as you want. Uh, but instead of laying out the food uh, in a buffet counter, it will be brought to you uh, in a plated manner onto your table. So, so you can order the food through your mobile, whatever you want to eat. You can of course add the menu at any point in time, uh, and then uh, you can you can mention in which order you want the food to come in. Because people typically like to eat the kebabs first, and then the main courses and the dessert. So we made all those changes uh, in the restaurant. Uh, and uh, a couple of these, uh, uh, a couple of the marketing agencies, along with Barbecue Nation, we did do uh, a ditch state test in Delhi, Bombay, Bangalore, Chennai, and Hyderabad. And in the north, people did mention that they are waiting for the lockdown to lift, and they're looking. Their favorite restaurant is Barbecue Nation, and they're looking to come back to eat in the restaurants. Uh, so we are very optimistic uh, that uh, once the lockdown is lifted, demand will of course uh, come back. Uh, maybe not to the to the levels it was pre-COVID, but uh, we will have uh, you know we will have significant uh, footfalls. We do have a database of uh, of close to seven uh, seven million seventy lakh uh, customers that we are in close contact with. We have a very active Facebook. An Instagram page on which we have continued to uh, uh, communicate with our uh, with our investors and keep them up. Sorry, sorry not our investors, our, our clients, and keep them updated on what we are doing uh, on a day-to-day basis. How we are changing the SOPs, how we are going to cater to them in the post-COVID uh, environment. So that's something that we are working on. In uh, in Sapphire. Uh, we have close to, and this number varies, but uh, we started off with about 50 odd stores, uh, and we are now close to about 90 stores uh, across the two brands where we are doing uh, uh, food, uh, where we are delivering uh, food out of, uh, which is across Pizza Hut and KFC. Uh, of course, uh, Sapphire being a, a franchise of Yum, which is a multinational brand. Uh, they they came back very quickly to us uh, in early March in terms of safety and hygiene practices and SOPs for our in-store staff and what all we need to do in the in, in that situation. We they have uh, pioneered a contactless delivery model in the U.S., which we are implementing in India. So that SOP is again something that we are following. Uh, so, so we continue uh, to do that. Uh, KFC is a, you know, continues to be a fantastic, fantastic USA brand in India uh, with huge demand. Uh, I don't know if uh, any of you guys have uh, have uh, flown out of the Bangalore domestic terminal in India. Uh, there is a KFC store there, and every time I fly out of Bangalore, I always visit that store. Uh, it used to be a small uh, kiosk. And now it's taken that entire road. They've taken four, uh, four stores there. Uh, and their entire seating area uh, just belongs to KFC. Uh, and it has a huge, huge uh, uh, revenue. Unfortunately, it doesn't belong to us or Devyani. It belongs to, uh, to, young, uh, to young themselves. So, uh, so, so I'm really happy uh, about that. But uh, uh, So it's a fantastic brand. And I don't see... Uh, any issues and demand coming back. It's already there, but I think it will come back even more aggressively. Uh, this is uh, this is the quintessential example of uh, 
uh, chicken fried chicken really is an example of uh, protein on the bone uh, as they like to call it uh, in the US. It's also an expensive uh, expensive QSR product. Uh, it's not cheap as compared to um, you know uh, the, the other QSR products. Uh, but but yeah, KFC is a, is a very strong brand. Uh, Pizza Hut again, uh, the market leader is Domino's, and I think uh, Pratik there has done a fantastic job. Uh, so uh, so in Pizza Hut, we continue to do the same thing. We have about 40 odd stores of Pizza Hut uh, in India that are uh, that are delivering. Uh, incidentally, we have the, the 60 uh, 65 stores that I mentioned in Sri Lanka that we have. Uh, so Sri Lanka Pizza Hut is, uh, has a majority of the, uh, pizza delivery business. Uh, so they are the, uh, they are the market leaders there. And, uh, they've been able to get, uh, very good traction from their customer base, uh, in Sri Lanka once the, uh, stores. So the lockdown in Sri Lanka was very severe. Uh, they were not allowed to deliver, uh, for a period of time. But now that it's opened up, uh, we see demand coming back very quickly uh, for our product in, in Sri Lanka. Uh, so I think Sri Lanka will bounce back. Uh, that's something that we are extremely optimistic about. Uh, so that's Sapphire. Uh, Gindigal, which is the uh, which is the most recent acquisition uh, that we made. Uh, here, we are, our footprint is, is is somewhat smaller. It's also restricted to uh, to two states. Uh, so here we have. Uh, anywhere between 40 to 60 stores that are operational, uh, where we are uh, doing deliveries as well as takeaway. Uh, we have, uh, so given the nature of the product, uh, it was very high table, it was very high uh, table terms. Uh, so we had to very quickly adapt uh, to the new norm, which is delivery, focus on delivery. Uh, we were doing almost 20, 25% delivery. Now it's, uh, it's almost 100% delivery. Uh, or take away rather for us. Uh, so here we have uh, adopted uh, adapted very quickly. I think the team there have done a fantastic job uh, to put together the SOPs because some, something like this uh, we have never experienced anything like this uh, in this business. Uh, so we have gone ahead and do that, uh, done that. Uh, the other thing that we have started doing there is uh, uh, started functioning out of cloud kitchens. Uh, so, because we don't see a new store opening happening, uh, you know, over the next three, six months, uh, for incremental addition stores. Uh, so we have tied up with these cloud kitchen, uh, operators and started delivering other cloud kitchens as well. So that is, uh, you know, an innovation rather that we have done in our business model to actually reach out to customers in districts and, and locations where we are not present. Uh, so these really, you know, these are some of the measures that we are, uh, you know, that we are taking uh, to basically uh, adapt to this uh, to this COVID situation. You know how uh, market in China is kind of recovering, and there's any anecdotal evidence from there, and any shift in business model that you're seeing uh, in, from from those markets, you can even talk about it. So China is the only market uh, which has recovered, right? Uh, so when we got into this about six weeks ago, uh, we started looking for uh, uh, for evidence out of China and not just in F&B, you know, retail and, and other consumer products, uh, whether it was uh, takeaway, delivery, uh, you know, how were people, uh, their the shopping behavior, how has it changed in the parallel sector? Because 
you know, that's the only uh, data set that was available at that point in time. Uh, so, uh, so we've tracked the, uh, uh, the F&D space in, in, in China uh, quite closely, including uh, what Young China is, uh, is, also, uh, is also witnessing. So broadly, uh, uh, the, the lockdown in China was lifted uh, sometimes in March, uh, and it's been about 60 days uh, since that has happened. And uh, demand uh, started coming, demand for retail uh, as a whole uh, started uh, off quite low. I think it was, depending on which product it is, uh, so for example, apparel was like less than 5%. As compared to uh, as compared to pre-COVID uh, period, uh, and food uh, was about twenty percent as compared to pre-COVID period. So you know it it it, it ranges for which uh, whether it's discretionary, non-discretionary, but it was definitely uh, significantly lower uh, than uh, than than pre-COVID uh, uh, times. Of course, if it is non-discretionary, like sanitizers, soaps, and all, that demand we've already seen in India uh, gone up, uh, gone up as well. Uh, but what we've seen over the last 60 days is on the F&B side for restaurants, uh, the demand is about 20, 22 percent is the number. We, you know, we were uh, saying that on, on one of the webinars uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's about 22 odd percent below. Uh, the pre-COVID levels after 60 days. Uh, so those, those, frankly, nobody knows how uh, how it's going to play out uh, post the lockdown is lifted and whether it's going to be lifted. We all know now it's not going to be lifted in in one shot. It's going to be lifted in phases. Uh, we are going through the the fourth the fourth phase as we speak. Uh, nobody knows how many phases uh, are they going to be. Uh, I think, and this is what the industry also is coming around to, is the fact that, uh, you know, now that we have these red, orange, and, uh, and green zones, uh, the ability to open or not open a restaurant or a delivery center is going to be a function of the zone. So if you are in a red zone, uh, then the ability for you to open a restaurant is going to be very, very low. Or if you're in a mall, again, very low. If you're in a green zone, uh, you are, of course, allowed a delivery and all. And the path to opening the restaurant uh, is going to be sooner as compared to what it is going to be in the red zone. But frankly, we don't have any idea as to the time. Uh, so, so then we go back to whatever data we have from China and we say, after two months, uh, assuming lockdown is lifted in the same way, and, and it's a U or a V-shaped recovery and not a double V-shaped recovery, uh, then, uh, then we should come back to 20% below pre-COVID levels, maybe not in two months, but let's say in three months. So maybe by end July, August, we should be at uh, 20% or maybe 30% pre-COVID levels. We could plan for that, we could model for that, uh, but then again, uh, Nobody knows the right answer. Uh, I wanted to understand, you know, two points. One is because your association with both the QSR business, uh, you know, with service, uh, do you think um, 
uh, the delivery portion or you know sort of uh, people delivering more versus visiting the restaurants uh, could pick up in the medium term. And uh, what is the experience over the last few days, particularly you know uh, given the few areas have already opened up. So I'm sure delivery was was generally less impacted. And second is um, with respect to uh, your uh, hotels and restaurants. Uh, what about the rental part? Because most of the other uh, industries talking about either a waiver or you know at least uh, enforcing a force majeure. Uh, just want to hear your thoughts on these two points. Yeah, those are those are both uh, uh, very valid uh, concerns that you have. So I'll address the uh, the easier question, which is the first question on delivery. So delivery, uh, uh, I agree with you along with the. Uh, because of the advent of the food aggregators, uh, Swiggy and Zomato, I think Amazon is also getting into it now. Uh, delivery has become a very critical part of most restaurant businesses, uh, whether whether they are or USR is, is critical, but even uh, casual dining and fast casual dining restaurants are looking at delivery to grow their businesses. This, of course, is the pre-COVID scenario. Now, come COVID, uh, if if you don't have delivery. Uh, then effectively, uh, you know, uh, for this period, your restaurant is totally shut. So even the uh, restaurants, and I keep getting these SMSs from uh, from restaurant chains that have never delivered, uh, they have converted their menu to delivery, and and they have started, uh, you know, food delivery to aggregators. So delivery, I think, is something that is continuing. Uh, it will continue, uh, and I think it will only grow in the future. But uh, and you know, in my mind, it is not something to be scared of. So, if I am a uh, if I am a casual dining restaurant or a fine dining restaurant operator, uh, my my first reaction would be, oh, the delivery restaurant is going to take away my business. That's not so. Uh, somebody who wants to eat fried chicken or a pizza or a burger doesn't want to eat, uh, you know, uh, a platter, you know, know, uh, doesn't want to eat uh, uh, an Italian platter along with six of his friends. It's a different mindset. It's it's someone who wants to have a quick bite at home or at work or someone who doesn't want to cook at home. Uh, The person who is visiting a casual dining or a fine dining restaurant, besides the food, is looking for that experience. Okay, uh, so I don't think delivery is going to eat into the uh, into the uh, dining experience. That has been the case uh, for some restaurants at the at, at the at the margin, but I think the trend is just going to it's just going to broad base the customer base and, and grow the industry as a whole. Uh, so uh, so until. So, if you have a strong product and a, and a good uh, good proposition, people will continue to uh, visit uh, your stores. Uh, but to to give you a quick and easy answer on the delivery, uh, that of course has been critical in this period, and it has only grown. Uh, we have seen in uh, in our Sapphire and Digital restaurants the ones that are open for delivery are doing equal. Or maybe better delivery delivery numbers as compared to what the delivery numbers were pre-COVID. Uh, and on the uh, on the other uh, point on the 
on the rental stage, there is a lot of uh, communication that is going on between the government and the NRAI uh, on uh, on categorizing this as a force majeure and getting rental data, etc. Uh, there is no clear indication. There is no clear ruling on this. Uh, what uh, what businesses are doing is that they are uh, going out and doing negotiations with the landlords themselves. Some landlords do understand that if businesses are shut, they have to give them waivers. And uh, including our business, uh, we have gotten we've been successful in some waivers, uh, including uh, some other businesses as well. I think most of the CSR casual dining restaurants have been successful in getting waivers. Uh, some have been, uh, most of them have been successful in getting deferral uh, on their rentals as well uh, because uh, for, a, for a restaurant business, it's a negative working capital business. You get, uh, you get, there is no account receivable, but there are accounts payable. So you get paid first and then you have to pay your vendors later. Uh, so when you get hit by something like COVID where your business comes to a grinding halt all of a sudden, uh, then cash flow uh, becomes uh, very very tight. Uh, so uh, so you have to manage uh, your cash flow. Uh, so the the idea really is uh, uh, to communicate. So you you have to communicate across the board. You have to communicate with your clients. Uh, tell them what you're doing. You have to communicate with your vendors. And it's not just uh, uh, it's not just uh, your landlords. It's also your food vendors. The most critical communication is with your employee uh, because, you know, for an average restaurant of, uh, of three, 4,000 square feet, you have 40 to 50 employees. And if a business has got 50 stores on an average, uh, you're talking about 2,000, 3,000 employee days uh, that are not coming, that are used to working, you know, 7, 8, 10, 12 hours a day and then are not coming to work for 30 days. So what do you tell them? Uh, that's really the critical piece. So you have to communicate with your partners, which are your employees, uh, your vendors, uh, your land. You just have to communicate with them. And we have been. We have been successful in getting some waivers, some deferrals. I think the, the dialogue in the industry is ongoing. Just one question to begin with. Uh, so what are your plans or what do you think about store expansion for the years going ahead? Or, you know, would even expansion be a concern or would you look to look at closing stores that were non-performing? That's a very, uh, a very interesting question. I think uh, there is a there is a photograph of Jack Ma going around on some WhatsApp groups, uh, saying that uh, if you survive 2020, then you are a winner. Uh, so, uh, so I think the first thing that we are trying to do in in our businesses is to ensure uh, that we consolidate our position. Uh, of course, we don't want to shut down any store. And at this point in time, we don't really know how it's going to play out, like I said earlier, uh, and how the demand is going to return. Uh, so I'm not sure as to whether we will shut any stores or open any new stores. But really, the, the criticality today is to maintain uh, your revenue uh, and not shut any stores as far as possible. Of course, if demand is not there, then we may have to uh, shut some stores, uh, which is true for uh, for any business, for any retail business. Uh, in terms of in terms of expansion, 
uh, we are, as I mentioned, we are looking for alternate channels of expansion. Uh, and, and, and we are fortunate to have uh, at least in our portfolio uh, of, you know, different types of uh, businesses, including, uh, you know, casual dining, fast casual dining, QSR. Uh, so on the, on the QSR side or the fast casual dining side, which are more uh, flexible models where we can do food delivery, uh, one way of expanding is, of course, to have the cloud kitchens. So we may or may not uh, open new stores this year, per se, uh, our own stores. Uh, frankly, it will depend on how quickly the demand comes back. Uh, if we are lucky and uh, if we recover by August, September, and uh, demand comes back during the pre-festive season in September, October, November, uh, then hopefully we should be able to get out of this uh, safely and then we can plan on expansion of stores. But uh, but I, at this point in time, I am, you know, we in, in our businesses, we are not looking to open any new stores. The idea is to consolidate and ensure uh, that we move to a variable cost model across all these store level parameters to ensure that we can uh, operate our stores, uh, maybe not very profitably, but at least operate our stores uh, at a uh, at, at a 40, 50 percent uh, cut on on, re- on revenue to the pre-COVID levels. Uh, but you know, I don't think uh, most restaurant businesses in India. Uh, will be opening new stores. They will be looking at other channels of expansion through cloud kitchens, which is a which is a different uh, uh, which is a different uh, channel of growth. But opening own stores uh, may be difficult. May be difficult with you. Sure, sure. And uh, you know, continuing on this line, so you talked about expansion via cloud kitchens. Uh, could you share some more uh, insights there on, you know, let's say if we talk about Bindigol, what does the supply chain look like? I mean, is the production, is the food prepared in every kitchen and what is the dependence on chefs, you know? And if you could also touch upon uh, how conversations are going with aggregators, you know, and at any point do you think can delivery, owning your own delivery fleet, uh, you know, become uh, economically feasible? Yeah, so uh, to answer the first part of your question, do we make, uh, you know, do we basically cook in every store or, or how, you know, what's, this, what's the back-end like? So today, if you are a uh, fast casual uh, chain and if you have aspirations to be, you know, anywhere north of 50 stores, uh, you have to follow the uh, center kitchen model, uh, which is basically have a, uh, have a kitchen that that you know either cooks uh, uh, you know either semi or fully cooks the food and then you transport it to the uh, to the store. So our stores in Vindigal range from 1500. Uh, some of them are even smaller, but let's say 1500 to 3000 square feet. Uh, where the kitchens are about four, five, six hundred square feet, uh, which are uh, which are fed in uh, by the semi kitchen. So the food comes. Uh, semi-prepared, uh, and uh, and then the final touches are put in and served. Uh, so that's really the model which I think pretty much every 
uh, restaurant business that wants to grow uh, beyond a certain threshold is following, which is you know, which which is how uh, you know food businesses are uh, are rolled out in the U.S. And uh, this was really brought in by Domino's, right? Sandy Kitchen in India is brought in by Domino's. Uh, so, so, so that's how uh, that's how we have done it. We've done similar in Sapphire, Dendigal, Barbecue Nation. I mean, that's a that's a proven model now uh, in the F and B industry in India. On the second uh, question, on the role of uh, aggregators, food aggregators, Swiggy, Zomato, and now Amazon. Uh, on the food delivery side, how dependent are we on them, and should we have our own fleet? Uh, so that is a uh, uh, that's a question that uh, uh, that uh, we have been deliberating uh, now for almost two to one half years. Uh, in some in some of our uh, in, in some of our brands, we do have our own delivery. So, for example, uh, in uh, Pizza Hut in uh, in Sri Lanka, uh, we have our own uh, delivery uh, available. Uh, in uh, in Dindigal, in parts of Tamil Nadu, we have our own delivery. Uh, but uh, it's not really having our own. Uh, our own delivery boys, uh, you know, going around in their motorcycles. The real, the, the, the real point is about reach. So, uh, it's one thing about picking up the phone and ordering food based on a, uh, based on an app or a mobile number or Vindigal or, or Pizza Hut or KFC or Barbecue Nation or Domino's for that matter, right? I mean, Domino's, Domino's, Pizza Hut, uh, uh, KFC have their own apps, uh, and 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 the the other thing is uh, most people have the Swiggy and Zomato app. Most uh, most people will have that. So it's it's not really the fulfillment. I guess we're talking about the the fulfillment part, which is the uh, which is the delivery of the food. The the concern really is a little bigger than that. The concern is origination of the order. Uh, so I'm happy delivering my own food as long as the order is originated uh, by my uh, through my app or through my website. Uh, but in in Swiggy and Zomato, uh, the, because of their customer reach, they are the ones who originate the order. Uh, so therefore, they are the ones who will do the fulfillment. Now we can add to it by by bringing in our own delivery. So for example, in in Vindigal, we do have our own delivery, uh, which uh, in, in just in a, in a few locations, which is very minuscule. But what we have is uh, our own takeaway. So people come and, and, and order and take it away, which is about uh, depending between four to eight percent, depending on which uh, which store you are in. Of, of this is pre-COVID, of course. Uh, so that is something that we have, but. Uh, uh, on the uh, on, on on just the fulfillment part, I understand your point. Your concern is very valid, but it's not just standalone fulfillment. It's the fulfillment leading to the order, and the order is with uh, Swiggy and Zomato. So that's really the it's, it's a chicken and an egg situation. Actually, understand the extent to which uh, you think that the overall cost structure can be variableized 
and um, uh, you know uh, to what extent have you been successful in uh, across uh, the key line items of the cost um, for yourself and in the same context if you could highlight that uh, if uh, restaurants uh, with diamond were to run with the social uh, distancing norms being in place um, will they be able to achieve the sort of uh, profitability to uh, keep them open for dining um, uh, because there are limited number of hours and possibly limited days on which uh, business occurs uh, on dining. So if you could also share some light on whether it's possible to run a profitability with social distancing for dining. Yeah, those are both are both are very valid uh, questions, and uh, most operators are facing this. Uh, these concerns. So the first point on variability of the uh, operating cost. Uh, so if you look at operating cost, largely they're under uh, three or four buckets, right? The first is uh, rent, which uh, is really a function of the landlord's ability, uh, your ability to negotiate with the landlord and how flexible the landlord is given uh, given your brand and, uh, and and your ability to come out come out of this COVID situation a winner. If you can convince the landlord to move to a variable rent model, uh, you can achieve certain amount of variability there. See, we, are, we have to assume that if the landlord was was getting one lakh rupees a month of rent from that store, it was a function of what you were making. If you were doing ten lakh rupees of sale, you could afford to pay him one lakh. If you're only going to do three or four lakhs of sales, you can't afford to pay him on that. But what you can afford to pay him, maybe, is 10% of your revenue. You were paying him 10% earlier, you were happy to pay him 10% even now. Uh, maybe you can't even afford 10, but let's say you're happy to do that. So that's a, uh, you know, that's a uh, discussion that you need to have with the landlord and, and you need to explain this to him. Now, his point may be that, no, I can still get one lakh. The probability of him getting that one lakh from any other client is going to be that much lower as that. So, variability of rent. Uh, your food cost is going to be uh, what it is. Uh, so, there is no variation there. Uh, it's a percentage of your sales. The second is a variability of your employee cost. Now, employee costs typically tend to get loaded up. You tend to hire a couple of more people extra in every store if business is doing well. If it, you know, if, if business gets, uh, if business drops by about 30, 40, 50 percent is what we're seeing now, uh, you will rationalize employees. Uh, you will rationalize the front end, the back end, center. You don't need as many cooks. You don't need as many servers. But beyond the point, you cannot variabilize employee costs. So let's say you are initially working with 30 people in the store. Uh, you could probably drop it to 18 or 20. But you can't drop it to 10. You know, there's a minimum threshold of people that you need. So there is, you know, there is a, there is a flow to the variability of employee costs. And then there is something called, uh, other operating costs, uh, which could be, uh, you know, uh, your maintenance cost or your replacement cost for, for, uh, uh, for your broken crockery, cutlery, etc. Which, of course, you know, a very efficient operator, uh, can manage. So if you can bring down these three or four costs, if you can manage them, if you can bring them down rationally uh, to a level uh, where you can maybe break even or be marginally profitable at 50% of your revenue, I think that's a 
sustainable model in the current situation. Uh, of course, as the lockdown lifts and, and, and revenues come back, uh, there will be, of course, flex. Uh, so if your revenues go up, your rent as a percentage will not, but as a, as a, as a flat amount will go up. Uh, you will have to hire more employees, uh, bring them back and things like that. Oh, I mean, just trying to understand to what extent will the overall rent cost be variableized? Uh, you know, to our surprise, the standalone high street stores uh, are the ones where the landlords are more flexible to moving to a, uh, to a variable rental, to a revenue share on the rent. The discussion with the mall landlords is still undergoing. Some of them, of course, agreed uh, uh, for a, for moving to a to a uh, to a revenue share. In a mall, uh, largely the the restaurant businesses, especially the QSRs, were on a uh, revenue share. So, in, in some of the bigger uh, high street malls, uh, the high end malls, uh, most. Uh, uh, most uh, businesses are on revenue share. Uh, so there the question wasn't to move to revenue share, then the question is to bring down the revenue share. The revenue share could be as high as 15, 16%. So the idea there is to bring it down, uh, to renegotiate. Uh, but there are discussions going on with mall, uh, mall owners as well. Uh, there the, the mall owners are, 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 are bigger professional uh, real estate developers. And of course, it's not an individual then. It's a, it's a group of 50, 60, 70 uh, restaurant owners uh, that are negotiating with them. Uh, also, in some cases, uh, it is all the, uh, you know, even the retail apparel uh, stores are, are negotiating along with the restaurants. So those are ongoing discussions. I think what they're waiting to see is when the malls open, what kind of football, what kind of traffic, what kind of volume these stores will get. Uh, so that they can, in their mind, calculate what is their what is their uh, implied rental on a certain revenue share. Uh, so mall owners also uh, have to kind of figure out what their minimum threshold is, just like the restaurant uh, owners trying to figure out what is minimum threshold for revenue or employee cost is for the break even. The mall owners are doing the same thing, but they won't be able to uh, make that you know do that calculation unless they see the footfalls coming in. Uh, so it's it's very really a domino effect. Like I said earlier, you know, everybody is 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 trying to do this. They are at the discussion table. Uh, timelines have been drawn, but no final decision has been taken. The trigger will only be once uh, football start to come in, and that's when we realize, okay, this is what the new normal is. Uh, so the rentals need to be uh, brought down to this level, which is a as a function of revenue is X, Y, Z. I think that's how it's going to play out. Yeah. And the second question was with regards to the uh, profitability in view of uh, social distancing and the dining um, restaurants. Anywhere between 25 to 40% of the food are going to be shut. But one of the interesting trends that we've seen coming out of China is that people, uh, so if you look at the Friday, Saturday, Sunday traffic versus Monday to Thursday traffic, uh, it's 60-40. So three days a week account for 60% of the traffic in malls and restaurants, right? That's why they're crowded on weekends and empty during weekdays. So one of the interesting things that we saw in China was that people preferred to go out on weekdays uh, rather than weekends uh, to avoid, uh, uh, you know, heavy, uh, heavy traffic areas. 
to avoid heavy, uh, you know, heavy traffic restaurants or malls. Uh, so the footballs in a restaurant or in a mall uh, throughout the week became more normalized. Uh, so earlier it was 60-40, uh, then I think it became 50-50. So if, if you see, if you go to a restaurant on a Saturday, there will always be waiting. But if you go to the same restaurant on a Wednesday or a Tuesday or a Thursday, you easily get a team. Uh, so I think uh, what's going to happen is, that demand will get normalized throughout the week instead of just being focused on weekends. We are to implement the social distancing norms in the restaurant. Uh, in capacity terms, uh, how much of an impact could there be, at least uh, from a near-term perspective? So we have uh, we have looked at a few different models. This, of course, depends on how densely your restaurant is seated, right? So you could have 50-seater in... 800 square feet, you could have 50 seater in 1500 square feet. So if you have a 50 seater in 1500 square feet, chances are you would need to cordon off maybe 5 or maximum 8 uh, seats, right? So, right. so I'm, uh, I'm assuming that if there are 6 people sitting on a table, they don't need to uh, exercise social distancing because they're a family, right? So I'm not I'm not talking about social distancing on a table. I'm talking one table to the other table. Right. Because two two strangers are not sitting on a on a table. Then you need to keep them away as well, right? So each table is for one one unit. And one unit, let's say, for the sake of this discussion is one family, four, six, whatever, right? So right. Uh, so if you are a fine dining restaurant, which is which is like fifty seater across fifteen hundred uh square feet then maybe five or eight uh, seats or maybe one table or two tables, right? Because you're already quite far away. But right. if you're a 50-seater in 800 square feet, then effectively you're like a QSR where, you know, you're quite tightly packed. Uh, right. Then it could be as high as 30 to 40 percent, depending on which pattern of layout uh, you are in. Right. But I think the, the norm that we are going with is about 20% is what the acceptable norm is. I think it was really on, uh, you know, you said that uh, we do see a kind of a, uh, based on the anecdotal evidence of how China has been, etc., we are hopeful that in the next three to four months, uh, you know, just come back to uh, at least 70 to 80 percent of uh, business for the F&B industry. Um, I just wanted to get your sense on, you know, you, you, uh, you know, we have a lot of, apart from uh, the, the F&B industry, also made up a lot of one-store, two-store, three-store type of chain, uh, uh, you know, which are uh, which are really the bulk of the industry per se. Uh, do you see a, a significant consolidation uh, in the industry uh, over the next, say, 12 to 24 months? Where you know, uh, you know, you know, business models backed by ones like you or larger, even larger companies like Domino's, etc., are really kind of you know uh, uh, gaining significant amount of uh, wallet share of the consumer versus the street vendors and, and you know the guys who are uh, you know not able to cope with the current situation. Do you see a permanent disruption? Yeah, I think uh, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Okay, so for a large number of uh, uh, mom-and-pop shops or the, un- let, let's call it the unorganized uh, segment, right? Uh, for a large uh, percentage of that, 
this is going to be a very critical blow. So, so this this blow has got two parts to it, right? Uh, so, of course, it's a big financial blow. Your restaurant's been shut for three months. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen, whether demand's going to come back or not, uh, whether your employees, your chef is going to come back or not, whether your, uh, you know, your landlord's going to accept a rental uh, deferral or not, you know, whether... So, so that's a that's a financial blow, right? Uh, the other, uh, which uh, I maybe maybe people are not understanding it, or maybe people haven't really thought through it, is really the longer term impact or the medium term impact is the one on safety and hygiene. Okay, so if you are an if you are a mom and pop shop and you are uh, you know you are not practicing the right SOP and you're not perceived to be safe or hygienic, or your staff is not perceived like that, uh, you know, this is all perception, right? Then people, no matter how much they love your food pre-COVID, they're not going to come in. Okay? Uh, so the street vendors, you know, we all love the street vendors. Uh, yeah. But stop going to the street vendors now because that reason. Uh, so that is going to be the big consolidation story in India. Uh, somebody was telling me, just in the city of Bangalore, there are about 800 pizzerias. 800 standalone pizzerias, right? Now, how many of them are rated, certified? How many of them are safe, clean? We don't know. But we definitely know for sure that Domino's and Pizza Hut are, right? So when you have to order your next pizza, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, uh, spokesperson for Domino's or Pizza, these are just my personal views. And because there are a lot of these, uh, uh, you know, public market analysts on the call, I just wanted to uh, clarify that. These are, I'm just, you know, for the sake of uh, an example, I'm saying that Domino's and Pizza, there are other branded chains uh, as well. So, uh, so from a from a consumer point of view, will you order a pizza uh, from the store next door? Or would you pay maybe 20 or 30 rupees more uh, or even 50 rupees more and order it from Pizza Hut or Domino's. So that's really the consolidation story uh, of the branded uh, restaurant chain going forward. And I think it's a, it's a big story. And it's, and it's really a medium-term play uh, because in the longer term, you know, when you're talking two, three, four, five years, uh, you know, people have, people will forget this. Uh, so you, if, you, if you want to use this, if you want to consolidate on this, you have to do it in the next six to twelve months. Uh, so that's really the opportunity. Uh, so uh, that's fantastic, uh, very well summed up here. Uh, uh, you know, uh, on behalf of uh, Investec, firstly, uh, I would like to thank you to take out time for this. 